I want to ask you, um, we will first look at Romans 1, 16 and 17, and for each point of the sermon, for all three points, we'll look at a, a different passage of Scripture. So for the second point, we'll look at 1 Corinthians 3, so if you want to place a marker there at uh, 1 Corinthians 3, and then for the third point of the sermon, we'll look at 1 Peter chapter 2, a passage there in 1 Peter chapter 2. So we're going to kind of pick up a main idea from these three selections of the New Testament epistles and apply that to our witnessing, being witnesses for the gospel. So the title of the sermon is Remember As You Go and Tell. So these are three things for us to keep in mind and in prayer as we go out sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's, uh, let's bow our heads one more time and ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, you have called each and every one of us as your people, sons and daughters of God, to be your ambassadors, to be your witnesses here on this earth, to carry the greatest news, to proclaim and herald the greatest news that can ever be told, that Christ has come, salvation has come, And we can be reconciled. We can be made right with God. We can have purpose and meaning and abundant life here on this earth and life eternal in the presence of your glory. We cannot have that apart from Christ. Christ is the only way. And so the only way for us to understand that and hear that is to be told. Someone has to share that. We we can't find that in the world. We can't find that in ourselves. We can't find that just by observing creation and deducing by chance that there is a creator, we still cannot come to the conclusion that the way to be made right with God has been provided for us by sending his son to die on our behalf. And if we would simply trust him and surrender our life to him and follow him as Lord and Savior, that our lives would be brought to life, be made new, And made eternal. But Father we often. uh, our, Our days get filled. Our minds get distracted. Our priorities get reoriented. And we lose track of what our calling is. Our primary calling. Here on this earth as believers. But, Father, you never call us without equipping us. So you you have given us your word, and it is sufficient for the task that you've given us. And so help us, Lord, to glean some things today that we might treasure them, that we might embrace them, that they might become part of our daily thinking and mindset and prayers. That the result of today's sermon 
would be that all of us would be made better witnesses for your glory. That we would have more opportunities, more occasions, more conversations, more times of sharing our lives, being intentional. And therefore, more times of seeing people come to faith in Christ. So, Father, we just ask, God, that you would do a tremendous work in your people today. Make us your witnesses. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So we've been talking about evangelism. This is the third week. This will conclude our series. We looked at Luke 14, the first week. And talked about the highways and hedges, compelling people, compelling others to come to dine at this eternal feast that the king is preparing. Last week, we looked at Acts 1, that we are his witnesses in this world to the end of the earth. Today, we're going to look at three things to remember, three things to remember as we go and tell the good news. And so the, the, these three weeks, we've kind of covered the three different genres of the New Testament. We've looked at a passage in the epistles. We've looked at a passage in Acts, which is the transition phase from the gospel period to the, the established uh, church age. And now we're looking in the epistles, which represent the age of the church. And, and the point for us in, in, in looking at that is to see that 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 living and and sharing the gospel is a widespread command and assumption of the new testament for every new testament church and every new testament believer is called to be his witnesses to be sharing and living out the gospel in this world, taking the gospel with us wherever we go, taking it to the ends of the earth, supporting the gospel's reach to the ends of the earth. That is one of the most fundamental primary functions of the New Testament church and therefore of the New Testament believer to be about sharing this good news to be about making Jesus famous to everyone around us. So the good news that we have been told is meant for us to retail. The salvation we have been given is meant for us to share. The joy of, of new life that is within us is, is not to be contained, but is rather to overflow and express itself. And in doing so, to, to compel others, to draw others. The life of the, of the child of God then really thrives on, we, we thrive on two fundamental responses to the gospel. When, when we ourselves embrace Christ as Lord and Savior and are brought to new life, there, there are really two fundamental practices, responses that, that condition and shape the rest of our lives. Number one, we worship God. We become God worshipers when we embrace Christ as Lord and Savior. 
And worshiping God defines everything about us. It's not just an activity that we do for an hour on Sunday morning, but but it's actually the way we approach life in, in that everything we do, we do to the glory of God. We do as worship unto the Lord. We worship God. But the second thing is we tell others about Jesus. That's, that's the picture of the New Testament Christian, worshiping God and telling others about Christ, telling others the good news. In other words, we love God and we love others. We glorify God, we strive to glorify God in all we do, and we strive to make disciples who glorify Him too. I didn't realize until I typed that out that that rhymes. We, I mean, that, that, that would be good to you know, put on a bumper sticker or something. We, we strive to glorify God in all we do, and we strive to make disciples who glorify him too. So here are three things to remember as we go and tell. And we're, what we're going to be talking about here are, are things to remember because there are things that silence us. That, that keep us from sharing the good news. So let's remember these things that we might not be silent. Number one, from Romans 1, 16 and 17, there is no need to fear. There is no need to fear. And if you are a disciple, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know that Christ compels us to be his witnesses, then you have, on some occasion, experienced this feeling of knowing that you should be telling someone about Christ, but out of fear, restraining that opportunity. Silence. Your, your witness has been silenced. I've, I've been there. I have felt this too. One of the greatest, if not the greatest hindrance to our sharing our faith is, with others is fear. Now we can speak of the weather, we can speak of sports, we can speak of politics, we can speak of news and world events with great ease and with great enjoyment and sometimes with tremendous passion and emotion. But when it comes to matters of eternity... When it comes actually to the most important things, when it comes to the subject of salvation, we clam up, we grow silent, we change the subject, we divert the attention, we come up with something else to do right quick. There's all kinds of reasons that we from fear, our witnesses silence. We, we fear that we, we don't know what to say. We fear that we won't be able to answer all of their questions. We fear reprisal or rejection. And because of this, we, we use excuses to cover up our fear. We don't want to say, well, I'm really fearful right now, so I'm, I'm going to avoid being a witness. So you've got to come up with a better excuse than that. So we have ready, ready excuses to cover up our fears like, well, I, I was just afraid that I might push them away. And 
as if, you know, three steps closer to hell is any further than two steps. We, we say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm running late. I have an obligation. I'm in a hurry. I don't have the time. I'll, I'll, I'll catch it next time. As if there could possibly be something on our agenda more important than the eternal destiny of the person we're speaking with. We're afraid. Well, we, we might say, well, I haven't gotten to know them well enough to have that conversation. Although the door is wide open. We say, well, I don't, I don't want to seem too too pushy every believer every believer has experienced a level of timidity and fear when it comes to witnessing for Christ I have you have and we've allowed that fear to silence our witness and and to lose many opportunities to share the only message of hope the only message of hope the only message of eternal life in the world. There is only one message that will save because there is only one Savior. Can you imagine seeing someone drowning in the ocean and and you're on the ship holding the life saver, the life preserver, and you're sitting there hesitating, thinking, well, I don't know if I'll offend him or not. What if he doesn't want my help? What if he doesn't like this style of life saver? What what if I don't throw it exactly right? Can you imagine going through all of those scenarios? Well, I think I just caught a fish. No, if we saw someone drowning in despair, dying, trying to catch their last breath, we would just throw the life preserver. And whatever the consequences were, they are. We would just throw it. But that's often how it is with something far, far more important. Those drowning in the sea of iniquity and sin and despair and eternal destruction. And that's why I wanted us to look at Romans 1.16 today. We have no need to fear. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul says he's not going to cower. He's not going to be paralyzed by timidity or fear or shame when it comes to being a witness for Christ. Now, if anyone could grow fearful or have any kind of hesitation about what the outcome might be, if he were to share Christ right now, it would be the Apostle Paul, correct? I mean, Paul knows what it's like to face some pretty severe consequences. And and the truth be known, we, we might face some tough consequences some difficult consequences but in our context we will rarely face severe consequences paul was beaten paul was heckled paul was shouted down paul was surrounded by an angry mob paul was imprisoned paul was at one point he says even left for dead 
If anyone would have a reason to say, I don't know if I want to do this again. It, it would be the Apostle Paul. So, so I think he understood. I think he realized what it meant to have an open door for the gospel right in front of you and all of a sudden to feel the choke of fear. And that's why he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I will not be silenced. I will not be backed into a corner. I will not cower. I will not have shame and fear for the gospel. Now, he, he just declares this with tremendous boldness and courage, doesn't he? This is not going to happen. I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. So evidently, Paul knows something. Paul knows something that's greater than his fear or our fear. He knows something that, that's, that's large enough and that's great enough, that's massive enough. A powerful truth that's able to conquer and override his fear so that he can declare, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Something that outweighs all of his hesitations. And he tells us exactly what that mountain-moving, life-changing truth is in the very next words, doesn't he? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. That is to Jews and Gentiles, to everyone who believes. The power of God for salvation kept Paul from being silenced by any type of fear or worry or concern. And it will do the same for us if we will remember as we go and tell that what we are going and telling and living happens to be the power of God for salvation, the gospel. We can't change a life, but the power of God can. We can't give a new heart, but the power of God can. We can't replace hopelessness with hopefulness. We can't replace darkness with light. We can't replace turmoil with peace, but the power of God can. We can't save a single soul, but the power of God can. What is the power of God? The power of God is the ability to raise the dead the spiritually dead to new life. The power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation, for rescue, for redemption. And his power, that power of God is at work. It is at work in the truth of the gospel. Every time the, the gospel is shared, the power of God is attached to the gospel. It is within. It is the DNA structure of the gospel message. It is empowered by the power of God. 
The word goes out and does not return void. No matter whom we may be talking with, our our family, our, our friend, a stranger, a foe, whoever we may be talking to, their greatest need is salvation. Their only hope is salvation. The most urgent thing in their life today, right here, right now, is salvation. There's nothing greater in their life hanging in the balance than their soul. There is nothing of no greater necessity for any human being on this earth than to know the power of God for salvation. And the only way to know it is to hear it. And the only way to hear it is for somebody to share it. And that's what God calls each and every one of us to be. His witnesses. His witnesses. Out in the highways and hedges. Doing, doing things like knocking on 107 doors of new homeowners. You see, they'll never believe unless someone tells them about their need of salvation and introduces them to the Savior. So if we will keep in mind, if we will remember, remember without salvation, they will spend eternity separated from God, and that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. If we will keep that in mind and in prayer, that Jesus is the only one who can rescue the sinner from hell, and God has the power to save the hardest heart, the heart that is strayed the farthest from God. I mean, remember the person who's writing these, these words is the very person that used to beat believers, persecute believers, imprison believers, watched as Stephen was stoned to death for being a witness. That's the kind of person the power of God is able to save and transform and completely renew and give a complete new creation and new life so that the very one who had given his life to silence the gospel is the very one in the New Testament that takes the gospel the farthest. You can only explain that by saying the power of God. And that's exactly the same power that is within every witness we give to the kingdom of God. Oh, absolutely. We, we, we look at people, we look at family members, we look at friends, and we conclude in our human mind, right, they'll never change. There is no hope. They'll never turn. They'll never believe. They'll never get out of this trap. We need to be reminded, church, that the gospel is the power of God, not the power of will. Not the power of you, the power of God for salvation. There's no need to fear. The message we share is infused with the power of God to save. So it's worth being rejected at times. It's worth being shunned. It's worth paying a price. It's worth whatever it may cost us along the way if one sinner comes to faith in Christ. 
whatever we may do for the gospel's sake, whatever consequence we may bear, it is worth it if one sinner may hear and respond and believe and be rescued forever. Forever. Eternity is in the balance. We forget that. Remember, the gospel is the power of God. And let's not let fear silence our witness. Secondly, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll look at verses 5 through 9. And we need to be reminded that we are not responsible for the results. We are not responsible for how someone responds when we share the gospel with them. So beginning in verse 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. In other words, Paul is saying this is God's work. This is not my work or Apollos' work. Paul is addressing division in the church at Corinth. People are picking their own spiritual heroes, and it's causing division within the church. A church and Paul is saying we are nothing it's God put your focus on God he's the one that's doing the work we're just servants we're just witnesses we're just instruments but as he's teaching on against division in the church he tells us something about evangelism he tells us something to remember as we go and tell the results are not up to us The results are God's business. Who comes to Christ and who rejects Christ is is in the Lord's realm. That's out of our hands. That's not our responsibility. Our calling is just to simply be faithful to share. Someone has to share. Someone has to tell. Someone has to live it out for it to be seen, for it to be heard. Someone has to be going to the highways and hedges and compelling. God is the one who saves. We're only planters and and waterers. We, We carry seeds and water. God causes the growth. You see... There, there are two things here that can silence us. One is, one is fear. We talked about that. Fear can silence us. But carrying an unnecessary burden of the results can silence us too. That's an unnecessary burden. God never put that on our shoulders. God never put the responsibility of who comes and who doesn't come upon our shoulders. He only called us to be faithful in sharing. So sometimes that that undue, that unnecessary burden of the results keeps us from from sharing. What what if we tell them about Jesus and they refuse him? Maybe we said or did something wrong. Maybe we didn't say it exactly right. Maybe we didn't 
we didn't have the right tone. We didn't, we didn't start the conversation correctly. Maybe our life at the time, didn't, they, they didn't reinforce our witness. Maybe they remembered who we were before we were saved. Or maybe they remembered our huge blunder last month. And, 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 and so they, they, they wouldn't believe Maybe we, we're actually making it more difficult because we're not the best at this. Surely, surely uh, uh, Pastor Will and, and, and Pastor Martin and, and, and Shane and, and the deacons, they're better at this. I, I shouldn't be involved in this. Maybe I'll, I'm making it even more difficult. Well, maybe we shouldn't be worried about the results. Maybe we shouldn't let the burden of the results be hindering and silencing our witness when the only way people will believe is if they hear. If we are simply faithful to be his witnesses, he frees us from the burden of the outcome. Remember the parable of the four soils. Remember, Jesus told that parable, the sower went out and he scattered seed everywhere. And some seed fell on hard ground and some seed fell on stony ground and some seed fell on thorny ground. And, and they didn't produce. They didn't, they didn't bear fruit. They didn't live. They didn't make it. But some seed, there was a fourth ground, some seed fell on good ground. And it brought a harvest. Tremendous harvest. That's the way it is in sharing the gospel. We share everywhere, every time, every opportunity, as much as we can. We spread the seed, spread the seed, seed, sow, 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 sow. And somewhere along the way, seed falls on good ground. It's God's timing. It's a divine appointment. It's right there. And they are ready. And the gospel falls on ears that are aching to hear. And the ground brings forth fruit. It brings forth a harvest. A sinner is saved. Heaven rejoices. You see, the sower wasn't responsible for the growth. Only for the sowing. No seed will ever fall on good ground if there's not a sower out there sowing, scattering. That's what we do as believers. We take the gospel and plant it and, and water it wherever we go, everywhere we go. And by God's grace, at some point, new life appears it may take a while. It may take years. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma and, and spent years and years and years on the field without a single convert, buried his wife and children on the field without a single convert, and all of a sudden, people started to believe. All of a sudden... He found good ground. And sometimes it's a process, right? Paul says, I, I planted, Apollos watered. It was a process. It wasn't instantaneous. So the, the, the point here is that we might not see the results of our witness immediately. 
We might not share the gospel with someone and and see them immediately embrace Christ as Savior. We might not even see them embrace Christ in our own lifetime. But we do the planning or or we do the watering. We do the preparing for, for the gospel. And new life comes in God's timing. Some of you are, are getting ready to plant gardens, right? It's that time of year to plant a garden. I, I have this vast, uh, this vast field in, in the backyard of the parsonage to plant a garden. We call it a box. It's, it's vast. I can't reach across it. So in a, in a few weeks or so... Um, uh, I'll get Alethea. She'll she'll help me. We we we'll we'll do the planting. We'll we'll do the fertilizing. We'll we'll do the watering. We'll pull the grass and the weeds, and that's all we can do. At that point, it's out of our hands. There's nothing else I can do to get a tomato out of that box. At that point, it's in God's hand. Whatever it might be that we've planted, whatever it might be that we've watered, but we keep watering and we keep looking. And one morning, eventually, we'll look and there'll be a little green leaf popping up out of the surface of that ground. New life. New life. It comes in God's timing. It comes in God's way. Just because someone rejects today doesn't mean they will reject tomorrow. The burden of the result is not upon your shoulders. It's in God's timing. It's God's business. It's God's work. Only God can save. But he does so through the means of his people sharing the gospel. So if that is the case, then we should be out scattering as many seed as we can. The more seeds we scatter, the more opportunities we have to find good ground. So always remember as we go, we have no need to fear and we are not responsible for the results. Third thing, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. The third thing to remember as we go, we always have two subjects to share. We always have two things to say. You can put it that way. First Peter chapter two, verses nine and ten. But you are a chosen race. This is who we are in Christ. Listen to this. This is who you are. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That, you hear that? (laughs) This is why we are all these wonderful, eternal, sanctified, saved, glorious, joyful things. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not mercy, but now you have received mercy. Point, proclaim it. Proclaim it. We always have something to say. We can be silenced by fear. We can be silenced by carrying an unnecessary burden of the responsibility of the results. And we can be silenced by thinking, I don't know what to say. But we do know what to say. We always have two things ready at hand, ready and available to share with anyone at any time in any conversation. First thing is this, our testimony. You always have your testimony. You always have your story of how you were before Christ, how you came to Christ, and how life is now in Christ. You have a story, a personal story of being born again, renewed, reborn, remade, a testimony. It's always there. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to go look for it. You don't have to be trained about it. You don't have to have bullet points written down in your pocket. It's in your heart. God saved you. So there's that before we met Christ. There's, there's that part of our testimony. Let me tell you about my life before I met Christ. My goal in life before Christ was to be popular, to be liked, to be in the in crowd. That's all I cared about. All I cared about was what other people cared about me. I lived my life by the impression I made upon others. That's why I was always getting in trouble in class. I was always getting in trouble when I was away from home. I, notes was always getting sent home. I like to talk. You wouldn't believe that, would you? So I did what I had to do. I did what I had to do. I said what I had to say. So that you would like me, so that you would vote for me, so that you would be my friend, so that I would be popular. That's the way I live my life. But when all my friends were gone and, and the party was over and I was all by myself, I was empty. Completely empty. There was a huge void that I could get distracted from when I was out having a so-called good time, I would get distracted from that void. But eventually you have to face the void. And as I faced that void and couldn't fill it and couldn't get over it and couldn't get away from it, I was searching for meaning. I'm talking about a 14, 15-year-old student. That's why it's so important. So important to live and preach and share the gospel. Because I was 14 years old, 14 years old, looking for some kind of meaning in church every Sunday, empty. Y'all with me? 
empty, looking for a reason to live. And Jesus came by. Jesus came by and said, I'm the resurrection and the life. (laughs) I'm what you're missing. It wasn't attending church. It wasn't going through the baptism. It wasn't becoming a member. It wasn't answering the Sunday school question. It was me. I'm the life and the resurrection. My life's never been the same. Oh, I'm just as, I'm I'm as imperfect a pastor as you'll ever have as your pastor. But my life has been changed. It's not empty anymore. Not perfect. I won't please every one of you. Lord, help me. I won't please every one of you. And guess what? I'm not going to try to. It is different. My life is different. I still have trouble. I still have trial. But the void's gone. There was someone great enough to fill it. Students are looking. College students are looking. Young adults are looking. Young married couples are looking. New homeowners are looking. Searching. There's good ground all around us. We, we got to start throwing some seeds. So when someone says, my life is a mess, and I don't know where to turn, we can say, I used to be that way. I've been there, but then I met Jesus. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you how Jesus was the answer for my darkest hour. You've got a testimony before we met Christ. We've got a testimony of life in Christ, right? we got a testimony of what life is like in Christ. We meet people all the time who struggle in life. Any believers here ever struggle? I know you do. I know you do. We struggle all the time. Guess what? We, we meet people in life who struggle in life, but when we struggle, we have a heavenly Father. We have God's character. We have God's promises. We have faith. We have a Savior that never leaves us or forsakes us. We have everything we need to sustain us and carry us in this life. So when someone says, I don't know what to do about this. I'm at my rope's end. We say, we have found the answer in Christ. Now let me tell you about him. Let me tell you why he's the answer. Let me tell you what your real struggle is. We have our testimony. And secondly, this is a big part of this verse, isn't it? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is excellent. If God is big in our life, he will be big in our speech. If we get to know God in his word, the greater our vision of God becomes, the easier it is to make much of him when we speak to others. A lot of our struggle about speaking to others about God is that we don't have a great vision of God because we haven't gotten to know him. He's beyond us. If God is not big in our heart, he won't be big in our conversations. But he is excellent. 
Christ is excellent in his nature. Did you know that God never sleeps? Did you know that? He never yawns. He never says, boy, it's been a long day. He never stretches with aches and pains. He never tires. He never grows weary. He never gets bored. He never lies. He never forgets. He never worries. He never grows anxious. He's never confused. He never doubts. He's never frantic. He's never fearful. He never has a need. He never quits. He's pure light with no shadow of darkness. He's pure holiness with no moral flaw. He's pure beauty with no imperfection. He's pure love with no malice. He is excellent in his nature. And he is excellent in his gracious work of redemption. He saves us and he keeps us and he will glorify us. He never leaves us. He empowers us. He forgives us. He guides us. He sustains us. He carries us. He strengthens us. He stretches us. He teaches us. He disciplines us. He loves us. So what are we to tell our family and friends? What are we to tell the world as his witnesses? It's simply this, isn't it? How great is our God. How excellent is Christ. How beautiful is the plan of redemption. It is good news. And this good news for you here today is that he can be your God too. If you have never entrusted Christ, embraced him as your treasure, as your life, and surrendered your all to him to follow him the rest of your days, you can do that today. You can turn from your sin, turn from yourself, trust in Christ, believe in him, and be saved right here, right now. If you would simply give him your life. John Newton, you know, there, there's some quotes that stick with you. I, I, I do a lot of reading. I come across a lot of great quotes, but every once in a while you come across one and it just, no matter what happens in life, no matter what else you read or what else you experience, you never, you never get over that quote. John Newton, you know his story. He was captain of an African slave ship. He came to Christ. He wrote this about his transformation I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. You are a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we have such good news to tell. If we've if we've ever needed to be reminded that there's a world around us dying and, and in self-destruct mode, being swallowed in the deceptions and lies of the evil one, carrying on and stumbling around in the world, making false idols of everything that they can find, it is today. If there's ever been an opportunity for the gospel, it is today. 
If there's ever been a a, a place where we might scatter seed and find good ground, it is today. So, Lord, would you so work in our lives and in our hearts that we might be emboldened, that we might be courageous, that we might speak the truth. We might speak it in love, but we might be speaking the truth, sharing the gospel, looking for ways, making friends, intentionally reaching across, serving, loving, helping, praying, going, telling, living. Empower us, equip us, and fill us, and send us is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.